Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Hello there and happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Bible Explained podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 1 through 8 today. So make sure to grab your Bible and your cup of coffee and let's go ahead and start reading. But before we begin, I have brand new bumper stickers of the Bible Explained podcast in the shop and you guys should check them out and get one for yourself and for your car. So then you can put it on the back of your car. And then while you're driving, you'll remember that you're promoting a biblical resource on the back of your car and it might make you drive better. At least that's how it's been for me. (laughs) It has definitely made my driving a little bit better. I'll be honest because I, I have some road rage. I'll be I'll be honest. I get road rage. And so. I put the sticker of the Bible Explained podcast on the back of my car. And now when I'm like about to have road rage, it reminds me that I'm a Christian and that I have something Christian on the back of my car and I can't be so road ragey anymore. So that's been a plus. My driving has gotten better ever since putting the uh, bumper sticker of the Bible Explained podcast on the back of my car. So if you have road rage and you want your driving to become better, grab a sticker of the Bible Explained podcast and stick it on the back of your car. (laughs) And then let me know in a few months if your driving has gotten better. But okay, let's go ahead and read Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 1 through 8 today. I'll be reading out the W.E.B. version. Grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea and let's go ahead and read. He who is emasculated by crushing or cutting shall not enter into Yahweh's assembly. A person born of a forbidden union shall not enter into Yahweh's assembly. Even to the tenth generation shall no one of his enter into Yahweh's assembly. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into Yahweh's assembly. Even to the tenth generation shall no one belonging to them enter into Yahweh's assembly forever. Because they didn't meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, Yahweh your God didn't listen to Balaam, but Yahweh your God turned the curse into a blessing to you because Yahweh your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you lived as a foreigner in his land. The children of the third generation who are born to them may enter into Yahweh's assembly. So my first question reading this was, what does it mean by Yahweh's assembly? Because a lot of times we see Yahweh's assembly being like the children of Israel as of themselves with like the religious practices that they did. And so I was wondering, like, do foreigners like Moabites, are they really not allowed to practice the Old Testament laws? And that just didn't seem logical to me at all, because in scripture, it says that basically everybody is welcome to participate in the laws. They are welcome to change to Judaism, and they are even welcome to celebrate some of the uh, some of the feasts, like, for example, the Feast of Booths was open to everybody, every single person, whether they were a foreigner or a Israeli born person, they were allowed to celebrate the Feast of Booths and were encouraged to do so. So why would that's why it made no sense to me. I was like, why would God allow foreigners from the very beginning to start practicing Judaism 
but yet they weren't allowed to enter into Yahweh's assembly. And so what I, I noticed was that assembly often means not just the entire nation of Israel as a whole, but it also means both A, the religious practices of Israel, and B, also the like leadership practices of Israel regarding the judges and the officers and the leaders in general. And so what I think this portion of scripture is talking about when it says Yahweh's assembly is most likely the latter. It is talking most likely about the political leadership uh, roles and responsibilities, but not just the political leadership, but I would guess even the Levites. For example, if there was a Levite who was emasculated at some point in time by crushing or cutting, in other words, he was impotent, then he was not allowed to serve as a priest. But then also, let's say there was a Levite born of a forbidden union. And a forbidden union could mean anything that God had talked about regarding the laws. It could be like a brother and a sister together. It could mean like what we just talked about actually on Monday, say a Levite son had sex with his his dad's like Levite wife, one of his dad's Levite wives. That could be a forbidden union. And they had a kid from that. So really, these these rules here could apply to just leadership in general is kind of what I think this is talking about. Leadership regarding what the Levite priests would do, but also what political leaders would do, such as the tribe judges, the leaders, the officers, and different positions of authority. And even later on, maybe even kings and and stuff like that. So here's what verse one talks about. It says, the emasculation by cutting or crushing a man who has been emasculated shall not enter into Yahweh's assembly. So this to me sounds like either an accident or a deliberate emasculation, not something that a person was born with. So I would guess if somebody was born, you know, not being able to function sexually, then perhaps they would be okay because they were born that way. But it says specifically by crushing or cutting. Now, I do know that in this day and age, and even later on, we're going to see the term eunuch a lot. And eunuchs were people who were purposefully castrated, uh, most likely due to like pagan rituals, because we often see that eunuchs are people who were from pagan nations. So somebody who went through a pagan tradition like that would not be eligible to become a leader of Israel. And even a person who was accidentally emasculated still would not be allowed to serve as a priest or as a leader of some sort. I do know that this specifically mentions priests, that priests had to be um, basically intact in general. And priests were allowed to have wives, and I think even were encouraged to have wives and uh, families and everything like that. Because for the Israelites, you know, having children was a very, very important thing. Children were considered to be blessings. And of course, children were the ones that were continuing on with the, the Jewish traditions and everything like that. Children were very important. And of course, God always says to be fruitful and to multiply. So somebody who was unable to have children due to crushing or purposeful cutting were not allowed to serve as a Levite priest or potentially even as a leader 
of some sort of Israel. Now it says here in verse two, a person born of a forbidden union shall not enter into Yahweh's assembly. Even to the 10th generation shall no one of his enter into Yahweh's assembly. So somebody who was a Jewish person that was born due to incest, due to, I don't know, any of the weird forbidden unions that God talks about, that person was not allowed to become a leader. Because think about, think about why, actually. If a person who was born of, let's say, one of these forbidden unions was allowed to become a leader of Israel, that would be glorifying something that was wrong. And God never glorifies sin, ever. Even though it wasn't necessarily this child's fault that he was, you know, born of that forbidden union, it was still something that God just did not want to become commonplace because it was a sin. Those forbidden unions were sin. And not only were they sin, God actually says that they were were detestable to him. To not put a child born of a forbidden union in a leadership position was God actually uh, stopping sin in a sense right then and there. Because think about the problems that that could create. You know, if one kid who is born of a forbidden union is put as a leader of Israel, let's say he's like a king or something like that, and it becomes more normalized. And so God is making sure that these types of sin sins do not become normalized by putting a stop to them from the very beginning. Not to mention, let's just say that this forbidden union was incestuous or something like that. This this child born of, of an incestuous relationship, he could have a lot of serious problems and potentially his kids could also have serious problems. So that's why God puts this uh, strong rule in place that it says, even to the 10th generation shall no one of his enter into Yahweh's assembly. So, I mean, this child born of, a, of an incestuous relationship, let's just say, could have a lot of uh, defects, I suppose, that he's passing on to his kids. And so God is also putting a stop to that right then and there. However, the child born in the 10th generation of that man could be considered for a leadership position in Israel. And now God also goes into the Ammonites and the Moabites and how they also were not allowed to become leaders in Israel. Let's just say even a Moabite, you know, decided to become Jewish. They decided to start practicing Judaism. They were still not to be considered as potential candidates for a leadership position in Israel. And this was because, first and foremost, the Ammonites and the Moabites were very mean to Israel while Israel was in the wilderness. They didn't allow the Israelites to pass through their land. They made the Israelites go around them. They didn't give them food or water. They were kind of cruel to them. They even like put armies up to potentially go to war with Israel. And not to mention, they even hired Balaam. Remember that guy that talked to the, talked to the donkey? <laughs> That crazy guy. Yeah, they, they hired Balaam to like curse Israel. And instead, of course, God turned that curse around. He, he turned it into a blessing. But regardless, the Moabites and the Ammonites hated the Israelites and w didn't really want them around. They kind of wanted to destroy the Israelites. And so God says, even if a Moabite or an Ammonite comes and lives inside of Israel, which they are allowed to do. And even if they, you know, decide to start practicing Judaism right then and there, 
their children even weren't, wouldn't be considered for a leadership position in Israel. Not until 10 generations have passed. Because one other thing that isn't mentioned here, actually, is the Moabites and the Ammonites together not just cursed Israel, but tried to destroy the Israelites from the inside out by sending their prostitutes and their idols into Israel. And of course, God uh, punished the Israelite men who went along with all that. But he also punished the Ammonites and the Moabites at the same time. But because of the multitude of sins that the Ammonites and the Moabites did against Israel, God puts a pretty strong uh, rule on the Ammonites and the Moabites that they are not allowed to become leaders in Israel, not until the 10th generation has passed. And once they're like fully integrated into uh, the, the, the culture of Israel. However, it does talk here about how the Egyptians and the Edomites, they had less restrictions on them. In fact, God says that the Israelites were not supposed to hate the Edomites because the Edomites were a close relative to Israel. Now, one of the most famous Edomite people that we know of in scripture was actually Herod the Great. Herod the Great was an Edomite, and he was also the one that built up the temple before Jesus was born. He built up the temple, and that guy was an Edomite. And actually, the Jewish people hated him. <laughs> Fun fact, but he was not a nice guy. He was actually pretty terrible. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a famous Edomite that we know of in scripture that was, yeah, a king of, of Israel. And also, the Israelites were not supposed to hate the Egyptians either, because the Egyptians took the Israelites in and allowed them to live in the land of Egypt. And not only this, if an Egyptian person, let's say, went and lived in Israel and became a Jewish person and had children, the third generation of children could be in Yahweh's assembly. So there was less restrictions for both Edomites and for Egyptians. Now, I think to the Israelite people, this would have been astounding because the Israelites probably hated the Egyptians, if you think about it, because the Egyptians were really, really cruel to the Israelites because they put them into forced labor. Like the Israelites were the slaves of the Egyptians, but yet God tells the Israelites that they shouldn't hate the Egyptians. And not only should they not hate them, but an Egyptian person could potentially be accepted into Yahweh's assembly like their grandchildren could be accepted into Yahweh's assembly. So, I mean, the Israelites were probably like, we shouldn't hate the Egyptians. Like that seems backwards almost like we should hate them because, you know, we were slaves there. But yet God tells the Israelite people not to hate the Egyptians or the Edomites either. But anyway, I always like to ask you guys, what can we learn from this nowadays? And I think the two things that we can learn from this is that first and foremost, God does not tolerate sin and he does not tolerate the spread of sin and he does not tolerate the normalization of sin, which is unfortunately what the church does nowadays. We kind of normalize things that should not be normalized, or rather we help normalize things that shouldn't be normalized. I guess we we 
cave too quickly to what the world wants and we help the normalization of things that are just wrong. For example, there's actually a church that meets in a middle school nearby where I live. And this church is completely 100% affirming of any religion, any sexual ideology, basically anything. They are affirming. In fact, that's what they call themselves. They call themselves like the 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 open door friends church, something like that. And they're totally 100% affirming of anybody and anything. That is a church that is normalized. I shouldn't even call it a church. That is a facade church that is normalizing sin and doing its best to normalize sin. And I am just appalled that they are meeting in a middle school in my area. I'm just absolutely sickened by that, that that's allowed. But of course, the the schools don't care. They could care less. But (laughs) my point is the church should not be helping to affirm things that are wrong because the church is actually supposed to be the priests. And what did the priests do in the Old Testament? The priests helped people. They encouraged people and they taught people how to live. That is literally the role of the church nowadays is to be the priests. We are supposed to teach people how to properly live for God. So if any church out there is not teaching people the truth out of the Bible, then they are helping to normalize sinful behavior. And of course, God does not want to normalize sinful behavior. He wants to put a stop to it from the very beginning because he knows us. God knows us very well. And he knows that, you know, if we, if he gives an inch, we're going to take a mile. He knows that about us. So he doesn't give an inch so that we don't take a mile because it's better for us in the long run. It is good for us, obviously, to not sin because sin leads us down all sorts of crap that we have a hard time recovering from. So I think that's the one thing we can learn from this is that God does not wink at sin ever. And the second thing that we can learn about this is that even if somebody has hurt us in the past, we don't mistreat them. We learn to forgive and even accept them into our our family. And I mean, that's very, very difficult to do. It's actually kind of funny. I just, uh, I've been struggling with forgiveness recently, actually, towards somebody that I know. And my mom's been putting the old podcast episodes onto YouTube. And she told me, she's like, Jen, I was listening to one that you were doing out of Matthew 18 and you made a huge mistake in it. And I'm like, what mistake did I make? And she's like, You said that 70 times 7 is 140. (laughs) And I'm like, of course I made that mistake. That, That makes total sense for me, actually. But anyway, I went in and made like a note on that podcast episode that 70 times 7 does not equal 140. It equals 490. I listened to it a little bit and I kind of read through the passage and it was talking all about forgiveness and basically accepting a person even when they basically sin against us. You know, getting sinned against is very difficult, but yet God tells us that we are still supposed to love that person. We're still supposed to forgive that person because we sinned against God. Anytime we sin, we are sinning not only against ourselves, but we are also sinning against God. And yet God forgave us very freely and offered us salvation in return. He gave us grace, even though we, we sinned against him, basically. So this is what God is teaching the Israelites, even from way back at this point in time, that even though the Egyptians and even the Edomites, in some cases, really 
hurt the Israelite nation. God still says that they are supposed to be accepted and even loved and cared about and forgiven as well. Alrighty, guys. Well, I hope this episode was enjoyable to you and that you share it on your social media platforms. If you guys would go over to Apple Podcasts and rate it and review it, that would be so exciting for me. But friends and faithful listeners, I will see you tomorrow morning for an episode out of John. Until then, happy listening and God bless.